It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for our neighbor. Won't you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Won't you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, won't you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Hi, neighbor. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood first aired in 1968 and ran until 2001. How many of you watched that show? Raise a hand. Put it, put it in the comments right now if you grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The show was created, hosted, and performed by Fred Rogers, who grew up just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Some of you, oh, I can't even acknowledge those Pittsburgh people. Not, not this week. But how about that other team up north? You know, they, that orange and brown, oh, we won't go there. Some of you may not know this or not, but Fred Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister. Some of you may or may not know that. He believed that every single person was special. That every person had a story and that every person mattered to God. Like millions of other kids, like many of you, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers. He had this profound way of, of communicating serious and complex issues with a simplicity and a gentleness that brought peace and understanding to his viewing audience. And whether you were young or old, he wanted all of us to be great neighbors. He believed that the world would truly be a much more beautiful place if we just slowed down and became good neighbors. That is what our teaching series is all about. Won't you be my neighbor? Over the next four weeks, we as a church family, as a community, I want us to slow down to take a really long, hard look at what it means to be a good neighbor, not just according to Mr. Rogers, but as we dive into Scripture, what does God's Word say about being a good neighbor? And here's why this matters. The solutions to the problems that we see in our world, in our country, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, they are not going to be solved by the government, by an election in November, by the police, by schools, or by the, the, whether or not people come inside a building on a Sunday. The solution to our problems will only ever be found in Jesus Christ. Will we, 
his church, the people, allow Jesus to work in us and through us to transform our neighborhoods? Will we show Jesus to our neighbor? What are we showing right now to our neighbor? Are we even interacting with our neighbor? Because here's the deal. We, as the body of Christ, may be the only Jesus that they ever encounter. Please don't wait for them to one day magically show up in a COVID-friendly building to hear about some guy that they really have no relationship or connection to, but they do know you. Will you show them Jesus in the way that you love them? Because loving your neighbor is a really big deal, not just because Mr. Rogers said so. In the book of Matthew 22, it's where I'm going to be. Matthew 22, verse 36, we read that there's this story about a time when Jesus is teaching and he's sharing to the crowd, and an expert in religious law tries to trap Jesus. See, the religious people in Jesus' day, they were always trying to, like, to catch Jesus, you know, to, they despised him. They despised him because he was a threat to their system of religion and power. He was a threat to their money, and that's really what made them angry, but we'll save that for another day. So this religious leader, he corners Jesus and he asks him a question. This is Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. He says this, teacher... Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus is essentially asked to reduce all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, into one command. His response, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. What if Jesus actually meant that? What if he actually meant that we should love our neighbor? You know, the people that you live right next door to? The people that are all around you? What, what if we actually encouraged them? Cared for them? Fought for their greatest and highest good? Because here's the deal, large gatherings... And great programs inside a building, they won't necessarily engage all of the hurting and broken people who don't yet have a hope and home in Jesus, but being a good neighbor can. It's one of those type of sermons today, just so you know, where I'm just going to slow down and preach the truth from the gospel. 
There's not going to be a lot of glitz today for me. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to take a cue from Mr. Rogers and really look at what a good neighbor is. Because I think that first begins with looking at our hearts. If we really want to take this commandment seriously, if we really want to truly follow in his footsteps, I have to first say, Jesus, look at my heart. Look look at the condition of my heart. How is it really doing? What's it really look like? King David, in the book of Psalm 139, he says it like this, verse 23. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now a word of caution before you pray this prayer. God is a man of his word. He will search your heart. He will point out anything, any area in your life that needs to change, something that offends him. He will make it painfully obvious where there is a heart defect. He will prompt you gently and aggressively to change. So be prepared for that. But his word also says that he won't just leave you there a mess. His word says that he promised to finish the job to give us a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says just that. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The process of becoming a good neighbor, it starts with a new heart, with asking God to remove our heart of stone, our heart of selfishness, our heart of pride, a heart of fear, and replacing it with a warm heart of compassion and flexibility. And then we open the door, sing for those who need to sing, And then you step into the journey of being a good neighbor. There's another story in the Bible where Jesus brings up this idea of being a a neighbor. And and oddly enough, it's again, he's being challenged by by the religious people. It's in Luke 10. On one occasion, it says this, an expert in the law, he stood up to test Jesus. That's always a good idea. He stood up to test Jesus and he said, teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? That's a good leader. Answer a question with a question. My wife hates that when I do that. Jesus answered, the lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this (laughs) and you will live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, and so he asked, well, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said this, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. The robbers stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. 
And before you check out and think that this story has nothing to do with you, some of you are stripped and beaten down right now by life. Some of you are hurting. Some of you know it. Some of you share it. And some of you are trying to hide it. You are on the road right now wondering if anyone will look at you. Will they help you? Will they see you? And right there in this moment in our story, our scripture says that a priest, a man of God, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw this man in need, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, another man of God, when he came to the place and saw the man in need, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, this is Jesus telling the story. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, money, and gave that to the innkeeper, and he said, look after him, and when I return, I'll pay, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And then Jesus looked at the religious leader, And he said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in religious law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The religious expert knew all the right things to say, right? But Jesus saw something behind that. Because sometimes we forget that knowing and doing are two radically different things. Jesus tells this lawyer that he's answered the questions perfectly. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself. You know how we do? He wanted the definition of neighbor to be the one that matched what was comfortable for him. So he asked a question about, you know, who is my neighbor? And isn't that the question? Jesus completely redefines this man's idea of neighbor. Are we willing to let Jesus redefine neighbor in our lives see there was the priest right presumably on his way back to or from you know the temple you know he sees the man in need he crosses over to the other side the priest was someone who would have known by heart the greatest commandment right and the same thing happens with the levite another person who works in the church in the temple and the levite sees the man in need and he crosses to the other side And isn't it amazing that the two people in our story who would have known this commandment the best are the two people who ignored the person in need? See, knowledge of love does not guarantee acting in love. But then what happens? There's a third character, right, that enters the story. There's a Samaritan. He enters the moment. A person 
who is despised by Jews. Why? Because he was from a different race. Yet it is the Samaritan that Jesus lifts up and says, that's the one who actually shows compassion. And how did he do that in, in, in the story that Jesus told? What did he do first? First, he saw him. See, most of us have so much going on in our lives that there's barely any margin in our lives to, to even see what's going on, right? We, we have so much, like we're so focused on me and us that we, there's so much, we don't even see the stuff that's going on in the people's lives around us. I think most of us, if we're being honest, that we would have tripped over the guy in the street because we got our heads down, locked in on our phones, checking our emails, checking our Facebook, posting on Facebook, pasting on Instagram, trying to figure out what TikTok actually is, trying to figure out what a snap is. We're just trying to go down, 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 down. We're so disconnected to people, but we're connected to the world. It's one of those days, it's okay, where like you, you really want to say like an amen, but you're like, I don't know if I can. I know James will. I know some of you will. It's also one of those days where I've asked Jesus to truly go before me and search all of your hearts. I'm sorry, not sorry. See, once the Samaritan saw him, he felt what? Compassion for him. What's our first response when we see someone in need? It's not hard to see the needs of people. Physical needs, tangible needs, emotional needs. It's not hard if we just open our eyes. If we just slow down. If we look with new eyes. If we look with a new heart. But what happens a lot of times? Like, too often we, we, we see someone in need and, 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 we, and we dismiss them, right? We wish that they would get their act together. We see that, that gentleman, for those of you in this area, right at the off-ramp by, by the BP with one leg and a crutch. And we try not to catch his eye. We think that they are solely responsible for their situation, but we don't know their story. We don't know where they've been. We only see where they are now, right? And, and, and we, we don't see what they've been through. Or, or we don't know what they've actually come from. How many of us would say that our first response is compassion? See, the, the Samaritan, he steps in and he meets this man's needs in very practical ways, right? He quickly sacrifices his own resources for the good of someone else. I, I, I'll be honest. I'll, be, I'll, I'll do the tell-all today. Like, I can get so focused on my stuff, my needs, my desires, my job, my calendar. And I know you feel this way too sometimes. 
And then Jesus, he finished telling this story. He turns to the religious leader and, and he looks at them and says, now which one of these three characters, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan of all people, which, of, which one of them actually do you think was the neighbor? And the expert in the law replies, the one who showed him mercy. He can't even say the word Samaritan. And then Jesus stepped into his life, looked him in the eyes and says, now you go and do the same. If neighbor is defined by the one who showed mercy, how many people would call you and me their neighbor? Do we insist on staying on our side where it's comfortable? Comfortable, comfortable, you know, with people who look like us, dress like us, love like us, pray like us? Do, do we show compassion to only the people that we think deserve it? Who is your neighbor according to Jesus? If loving our neighbor is part of the greatest principle of my life, the greatest commandment, am I willing to love people with the greatest of my energy and attention? I feel like too often I, I don't put that, my greatest energy into that. I put a bulk of my energy into worrying about like what's going on with the vaccine or, or, or getting worked up about homeless puppies and Sarah McLaughlin commercials late at night and, and mask or no mask or Big Ten football or what's going on in the rainforest or Republicans and Democrats, conservatives, moderates, liberals. Like what about me trying to live my best life like I could 12 months ago? What about me, Jesus? What if we who follow Jesus actually began prioritizing the two most important things that Jesus said were actually the most important? Our communities would become stronger. Our neighborhoods would become safer. We would have limitless opportunities to tangibly show the radical love of Jesus to those who live right around us and to those who need it most. Because that's what Jesus did for us first. He did that for us, for all of us. John 1.14, so the word Jesus became flesh, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I love how the Message Bible shares this. It says Jesus took on flesh and blood and he moved into our neighborhood. Jesus saw us, people so different than him, yet he willingly crossed to the other side, our side of the street, from heaven to earth. He saw the need and he became a gracious neighbor. He moved into the neighborhood. Can you imagine that? Like, just try to picture that. The king of kings, the creator of the universe, leaving his heavenly realm to move into an apartment in Cleves, Ohio. <laughs> like, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of people moving in to the Whitewater neighborhood right now. 
And you can kind of see that with, with, with maybe who's you've been watching online or on the platform or just people that you're seeing for the first time here. There's a lot of people moving into the Whitewater neighborhood right now. People connecting in online and on campus into the Whitewater family from all over the country, different cities. These people moving in, they, their eyes are on, on a capital C church. They're not looking at their church in Indianapolis. They're not looking at their church in Canton or their church in, in Tennessee or their church in Alliance. They're looking with kingdom eyes knowing that none of it is theirs. They see Jesus at work and they just want to be a part of it. Now some people would think that's crazy. <laughs> some people would think it's crazy to drive two hours to be a part of a ministry. But we've got people doing that every single week in our youth ministry. Some people would think it's even crazier to drive four hours to be a part of a ministry. But we've got people doing that on our worship team. Another one did it just today. Thank you, Brett. Some people would think that it's downright insane to pick up your life and move four hours from the opposite end of the state to be a part of a ministry, but that's what people are doing. Some people would think that it's downright stupid to move from Brooklyn, New York to be a part of a ministry, but much to my absolute shock and amazement, that is exactly what is happening. See, I don't think that's crazy. I don't think it's stupid. I don't think it's insane. I think it looks a lot like love. What I think is crazy is when the church, the well-meaning body of Christ, gets worked up and starts throwing stones and casting judgment on their brothers and sisters in Christ without ever getting to know them. What I think is crazy is in the midst of a pandemic, when people need people most, the body of Christ well-meaning brothers and sisters are tearing each other down instead of lifting them up. Why are we doing that? We see it all online. We see it on social media. We see it in our neighborhoods and friends. I hate to say it. We see it right here. That's, that's not love. And some of you are feeling uncomfortable right now. And that's okay. Jesus does some of his best work when it's uncomfortable. This is the place that Jesus has me right now. And the tension of being uncomfortable. This is where he currently, right now, is working in my life. God's been showing me that all of that passion that maybe some of you are used to seeing, that passion and fire, they, some of you have called me David, David Vaughn on Red Bull. <laughs> I mean, there's some truth to that. There are worse, th worse things you could say I was on. <laughs> God's showing me that that may not always be the best way to be a better neighbor. 
He's showing me that they, that may not always be the best way to be the best leader all the time. Just last week, God spoke through three different people to show me how much work that I need to do to be a better neighbor, to be a better leader, specifically to my well-meaning, churchy brothers and sisters. The same way that maybe some of you can get really fired up about Democrats right now, or maybe the same way that some of you get really fired up about Republicans right now, or maybe the, the, the way that some of you get really fired up about Black Lives Matter, or the way that some of you get really fired up about disrespecting the flag, that's the way that I get really fired up about church people acting more like Pharisees and less like Jesus. But, but the Holy Spirit convicted me on this. He showed me that as much as I love those that are lost, I need to love those that are found. See, I, I identify with the lost, the prodigal sons and daughters of the world, the ones that are still broken, because that was me for the majority of my life. But I was reminded that there was another son in that prodigal story, right? The elder brother was just as lost and broken as the prodigal younger one. And both deserve the sacrificial love of the father. That same sacrificial love that God first showed me. I think it's hardest for me to show that type of love to churchy people because almost all of my worst hurt has come from church hurt. People in the church who knew the Bible really well, they could recite Scripture from memory, endless Scripture of love, but failed to love me and my family when we needed it most. And I've watched this happen over and over again to my friends and family. But I've got to realize that just because some church people failed to be a good neighbor, not all church people will do that. I've got to practice what I preach. I've got to be better at loving my neighbor even if they are a little churchy. Because if I'm not doing that, what am I doing? If I'm not loving my neighbor, what am I doing? I'm just a loud bag of water making noise, right? Paul says it this way, more eloquently. Some of you are still trying to figure out the bag of water thing. If I could speak all... All the languages of earth and of angels, Paul says, but I didn't love others. I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, wouldn't that be cool? But didn't love others, I would be nothing, he says. If I have gained everything I have and I gave everything to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. 
See, friends, if I'm not loving my neighbor, if I'm not loving God, loving my neighbor, regardless of who my neighbor is, well, then, friends, this is all I'm doing. This is with my life. I'm talking about this, and I'm trying to be a good neighbor, and I, and I love people. I really do love people. I love them so much. I love them with all of my heart. I give away a little. That's just painful, right? You're like, oh, Jesus, come back now. But that's what I'm doing. If I'm not loving people, that's not beneficial. That's not being a good neighbor. State Farm ain't going to fix that. As a leader, I, I can't ask you to go someplace that I'm not willing to go first. And so to all of you, those of you out there that maybe identify with the churchy neighbor, to my churchy brothers and sisters in Christ in Cincinnati and Canton and all over the world online, I'm sorry for the ugliness that is in my heart. I will be a good neighbor. I will be better. That's the diagnosis of my heart. What's yours? How do you need to be a better neighbor? Go ahead, Alan. Like, tangibly, how do you need to be a better neighbor? Or maybe the question we have to ask first is, who is your neighbor? Let's start with literally. Who is your neighbor? For some of you, if you don't actually know your actual neighbors, let's start this week by just learning their names. Some of you may laugh, but let's, you're going to find out over the next four weeks how real this is. To actually know the people that live around you. This week, try to be intentional about learning the names of your neighbors, and for those that already know the names, then do this. If you haven't been doing this already, start praying for them by name every single day, asking God to bless them abundantly regardless of what their lifestyle is. Ask God to bless them and then start looking for tangible ways to serve them and then do that. Now, who is your other neighbor? your Samaritan neighbor, the person or people that you're quick to go to the other side of the street when you see them, those people that maybe you aren't quick to show compassion to. What is one thing that you can do this week to take a step towards being a better neighbor towards them? It doesn't have to be big stuff. I'm not going to tell you like you can't do big stuff, but sometimes it's small. Loving your neighbor can look like, like tangibly taking some cookies you know, to your neighbor and simply saying, I know it's been a crazy last couple months for all of us, but I just want you to know that I'm here for you if you need anything. 
But listen, side note, buy the cookies right now because not everybody is ready for your delicious baked goods that, you, that are homemade, all right, COVID and all that. They will be ready. Just be patient with them. Be patient. Be patient. Loving your neighbor, here's a... Man, if we could do this, we could turn the world upside down. Loving your neighbor maybe is not posting every political post you just have to on social media right now, okay? Thank you. I knew, I knew you'd get that one. And, and maybe for some of you, if you simply must post, then post a word of hope. Post a clip from a sermon that just really hit your heart. Post a song that moved you. Post uh, 30 seconds of hope, things that we put out there. We put out a lot of good stuff, in my humble opinion, that you can share that will inspire and point people to Jesus, not division. Guys, for, for some of you, loving your neighbor could simply be one, showing up to Dude's Day, but two, inviting a neighbor saying, come along with me. There's this thing on October 3rd, and we're going to get together, and, and we're going to talk about like, what it means to like, really be a man of character, regardless of what's going on in our life. Really, we're just going to be eating and drinking and throwing axes for four hours, but there'll be man of God stuff there too. Loving your neighbor can, can be as simply as just making eye contact. The next time you see your neighbor when you get home from work and just saying hi, instead of like rushing inside the door, afraid of interaction. Are they zombies? <laughs> Loving your neighbor can be the next time you're going to grill out. It's beautiful right now. I'm so glad for fall. The next time you're going to grill out and you're going you're to get some dogs and burgers on the grill, just go next door, all right? You've got three minutes on each side before you flip. Go next door and just say, hey, I'm grilling some dogs and some brats, some Mets, whatever those are. For the, you know, I'm trying. I'm, I promise you, I'm really trying to figure out this Met thing, okay? I, I actually went to Skyline Chili, too. I, w I won't share my opinion of it, but I did go. I'm trying to be a good neighbor, just go, go. Some of you are like, oh, sacrilege, heretic. Don't talk about our, our Mets and our skyline like that. Jesus, pray for him. Oh. Knock on the door and just say, hey, I'm grilling. Are, are you hungry? It's as simple as that. Food is the great equalizer, regardless of family origin, background, or lifestyle. We all eat. The table is the safest place to show the love of Jesus. What does it look like for you to tangibly love your neighbor regardless of who your neighbor is? Being a better neighbor, it creates this incredible opportunity for us as believers to connect our story to our neighbor's story, and then see how both stories connect to God's story. Because every single one of those stories matter. Every neighbor has a story, and the story is still being written. And some of those neighbors, they don't know who the author is. 
They don't know how much the author loves them. And that breaks my heart. That is crazy to me. Because there are some people before I ever came in a building who showed me that love and I wouldn't be here if that didn't happen first. They were good neighbors. We can't introduce them to the author until we first love them as a good neighbor. And so for all of us, for all of you, be encouraged. You matter. You matter. You have worth. I'll leave it in the words of Fred Rogers. You. All of you. You make this day a special day. Simply by you just being you. There's no person in the world like you. You are loved just the way you are. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us right where we are. With all of the stuff that we have going on, with all the things that we have in our hearts, with all the things we have in our heads, with all the stuff we have in our past, you love us. Your word says that before we had it all together, while we were still far off, you gave your life for us. Oh, Jesus, thank you for that. Thank you that you didn't wait for us, for me to get my life together to then love us. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for how much you have sacrificed for every single one of us just to be sitting right in this moment right now. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your son's holy name that all God's people say, amen.